Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Cause there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know. Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. And um, I want to note uh, for for the audience and you, sir, mm -hmm. uh, that you would be very proud of my wife this afternoon. Uh, she was having a conversation with a coworker. Uh, long and the short of it was he he explained that uh, he was going to be going to a workshop to improve his golf skills. And she said, "Well, what what specifically you're going to be doing?" He says, "I'm going to learn how to hit my driver." And without missing a beat, my wife said. Well, I recommend that you make sure not to tuck your thumb under your fingers because I hear that's how you can break it. Nice. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to share that with Damien because <laughs> that that is good. So who are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California teaching virtually and yelling at school boards uh, in two districts. Let me know. Hire me out. Feel free to ask for a sponsorship. Uh, uh, you know, I will come and I will be the Thomas Paine of yelling at your school board. Oh, I like that comparison. I, I was going to say at the risk of being uh, uh, appropriative, mm -hmm. um, I kind of just want to start calling you Damien yells at school boards. <laughs> you know, like, like as your epithet. Like, I like it. I like you it. Know, yeah. Uh, to figure out how to, or, or actually, no, you know what? We can turn it into a Kenning name. There you go. We need to figure out how to translate that into Old English. Board yeller. <laughs> Board yelling. Shouter. Shouter, shouter at councils. I like, like it. You know. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Council shouter. Council shouter. Yeah. Council scolder. Council scolder. Yes. Damien, who is council scolder. So I okay. Now you have a, a child. Um. So this explains why you didn't automatically throw her up against the wall and take her right then and there for that pun. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because. Oh yeah. man. Jesus. Yeah, it was it was impressive. It was it was very very well done. Nicely I was, done. I was quite proud. Nicely done. Cool. And when it's her, I don't even have to say good day, madam. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah, I have nothing. Oh, actually, I do have something. I have two children. Uh, I already introduced your son. Um, I have two children, yeah. an eight year old and a ten year old. Um, my eight year old and ten year old have decided that they're going to write a story about cats and because my son is my son he 
researched the daylights out of different breeds of cats. So then they spent the entire afternoon after school on Wednesday running back and forth asking Alexa where different breeds of cats were from and then running over to the giant wall map that we had to find the country so that they could name a city that the cat was from. Uh, for they the the whole thing and because my daughter is my daughter and you're going to especially love this part she started the story of of the cats as in the forest there was a shed and in that shed lived a cat i just got chills <laughs> not even kidding yeah that's that's yeah that's awesome and i might be that's paraphrasing just but it was super Tolkien-esque. But that's, yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just like, yeah, you know, I, I understand that you're, that you're, you know, an atheist and all, but you truly are doing God's work. <laughs> like, without but, even realizing it. No, I, I, I did, because I flooded the river nearby and uh, slaughtered an entire village. So it's, unfortunately, I'm doing, okay, you know, that, you I'm know, doing Marduk's work is the problem. So. <laughs> Uh, is it uh, Marduk or Ishkagal? Uh, the one that's the really large mastiff. Um, no, oh, that's Marmaduke. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Nice, nice. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So, and not like we're less than two minutes in. And, uh, four and, and a half, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, yeah. it feels faster. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But you hit with the pun first uh, as proxy by your wife. Yeah, I, I, yeah so, I don't know if that counts, but I, I count it. I'm counting it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, so, what brings us together today? Yet another Batman tale. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> it's yet another, yet another uh, uh, episode in our in our saga. Truly yes. saga. Yeah. Of uh, of of the Batman, and so. When we left off, mm-hmm. uh, we had gotten through um, Schumacher, yes, and had <laughs> had coined the term Doctor Dunog, yes, uh, uh, for for use on. I mean, you, you guys had coined it before, but uh, you know, you, you and your friends. But but it has now. I, I'm adopting it. Yeah, it's as, been rehabilitated. Co- yeah. Yeah, yeah, as as code for that particular thing that, you know, Schumacher and occasionally Michael Bay, who am I kidding, frequently Michael Bay. Yeah. Uh, if a little of something is great, then a lot of it must be better, and let's not worry about whether these flavors work well together. Let's just <laughs> throw all of them on the screen. Yeah. Let's just check all of them off onto the screen and see what sticks. Yeah, well, you know, Pee Wee so, Herman yeah. was in one of the Schumacher, no. <laughs> that, was, that was a Burton one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, too soon. Uh, so yeah, this so. time uh, we and we we went into the Nolan trilogy actually, and we we depressed the hell out of you vis a vis the Joker Batman, um, yes, and the Ra's yes, al Ghul is... Batman. So, yes, and yes, if I if I'd planned this out better, I would have done the yeah. Nolan trilogy in its own episode so that there'd be an arc, but. Yeah. Instead, I've kept people waiting for a whole week. So let's let's dive into yeah. 2012, um, The Dark Knight yes. Rises. This is the final yes. in the Nolan trilogy. This is the one where Bane speech speaks in THX while everyone else speaks in Dolby. Nice. Yeah. Uh, this is the one where the mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado overshadowed the gritty and grim nature of this movie. 
Oh shit. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, it was that was this one, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the bad guy in this one is smarter and stronger than Bruce Wayne. Uh he breaks Batman, literally. And I'm making yes. a distinction there because this these are Batman movies, not Bruce Wayne movies. And the previous ones were all Bruce Wayne movies. Um in response to the 1966 Batman movie, yeah. which was a a runoff of the 1943 and 1949 Batman movies, right? So we had yeah. the 80s into the 90s were Bruce Wayne movies where Batman was a symptom. And now Batman is rage personified and Bruce Wayne is just the button that we keep on top of it. I was going to say the vessel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I love the way you phrase it, that the, that the eighties into nineties movies were, uh, Batman as a symptom. Yes. I think, I think that's, that's a really, really pithy way of putting that. I, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like that. Cause so to anyway. one, to one extent or another, all of those Batmans, uh, were addressing a mental illness, a psychological issue, a pathology of Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah, which which I think is an important thing to to just kind of revivify here because now we're addressing it. It's all Batman and it's Batman as rage. But as you and I both know, rage is a secondary emotion. It covers hurt. You know, it springs from hurt. It springs from betrayal. It springs from uh, fear of loneliness and things like that. And that's what brings about rage. And I think the Nolan trilogy is absolutely existentialism. Then again, I think everything is existentialism. You you view you view an awful lot of things through an existentialist lens. Despite so I, not I being one. It's yeah. easy for yeah, despite despite being largely a stoic. Um, yeah. yeah. You you <clears throat> you you admire the existentialists. Um or existentialism, I do. Uh, I from 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 a distinct, uh, slight but distinct remove. I, I think. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting framing. It's kind of like I really dig on Freud. I don't think he has much validity unless you're talking about like literary composition. Um, in terms of psychology, I disagree. So it's kind of like same thing with existentialism as a philosophy. Well, the thing is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't. If you're going to talk about Freud, and in the context of talking about Batman, I think you know it's appropriate to do a little talking about Freud. Um, you know, most everything he had to say mm-hmm. was pretty much on the nose, right up until the point where he started seeing in in his own notes and in his own uh, uh, practice. Um, he came up against the realization of just how many of his parents, and not parents. How many of, of his patients? <laughs> wow, that is, that is so desperately appropriate. Like it's like me not crap. getting to teach about the Spanish influenza because the goddamn COVID because came. COVID, like it's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so so, but he 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 started looking at his notes, and and over and over and over in his practice, he started realizing how many of his patients were, were sexually molested. Yeah, 
and he couldn't face the truth of that, and so he came up with a shit ton of bullshit to try to find some other way to explain it. Yeah, I think and, there's yeah, you know, an awful lot of an awful lot of his of his you know basic uh, kind of ideas are are you know valid, but mm-hmm. then he he ran away from his own data, and I think that's that's where he fucked up. Well, I think you know? that's because he never addressed the shit with his parents. Like straight up his the loveless relationship they had with his father, the coddling that he had with his mother, like the, oh, yeah. the complicated relationship that he had with both of them and then I think there was a yeah. stepmom and just like all yeah, he he was it's like, you know, when we see really terrible people telling on themselves by accusing other people of doing that. Oh, um, yeah. you know, like in the entire last four years in the federal government. Um, but I think here you had a very broken man. Um, and I, I might've just mixed up his childhood with, uh, with Nietzsche, but here you had I a very, think, I, think you did, I did, but, um, you know, but you still had, it, it still stands. Passed. Um, but well, you, you, know, you had a, was, go ahead. He, he was, he was from a, from a, you know, very comfortable upper bourgeois, uh, you know, uh, Austrian, family background Mm -hmm. so i mean based on based on the social mores of the day he was fucked up by his parents no matter what so yes it's still valid to say that he didn't you know examine his own you know familial relationships because by by our modern standards they would have been bizarre yeah and and again he did i think he was calling out to people what he was dealing with um yeah, I mean, I, I think you had a broken person um, who was very smart analyzing everyone else through the lens of what broke him without realizing it. It just oh, yeah, happened totally. to be that his analysis was analyzing what other people were broken by. Yeah. So, and then doing a lot of cocaine. But, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't ignore the nose candy. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, so Bane... Uh, yes. is the bad guy, right? And he, like I said, he's smarter, he's stronger than Bruce Wayne. He breaks Batman, literally. Um, he's Batman's total opposite in a number of ways. He fights in a heavy and brutal way. Uh, a, a fighting style that is result-oriented and not stealth-based. Um, whereas Batman fights in a very slipping-by-you-and-then-knockout-blow way. Uh, a very stealth-based, surprise-attack kind of way. Yeah. Um, Bane is like uh, a boar um, rushing at you, and uh, Batman is like a cobra striking you um, by okay. slipping around you. Okay. Um, his mask, here's, here's what I got a kick out of. Bane's mask only covers his mouth. And that's the one part of Batman that's uncovered. Now, I think it's this this is why. I think Bane's mask only covers his mouth because he uses the truth to tell lies. Okay. Okay. I think yeah. Batman's yeah. mouth is the only thing that stays uncovered because he lies mm-hmm. to tell the truth. Fuck me. All right. Bane wants to it. Bane wants to rule. <clears throat> Batman <clears throat> wants to step away. Oh yeah. Bane okay. is Bane is largely alone, whereas Batman has an armorer and an advisor. Bane is sexless. Batman is undone by his attraction to various women. 
Okay. Now, interestingly, this is the... Including the daughter of the demon herself. Uh Uh-huh. Interestingly, this is the first Batman movie (laughs) that was made since Obama became president. It's the first. Okay. It's the first Batman movie that was made since the economy fell apart and had to be rebuilt, and it's the first one that uh, happened since the House flipped again back to Republicans owing to the Tea Party. And if you look at the violence and where it's directed in this movie, in many ways, it's absolutely catering to that Tea Party mentality that was steadily growing in 2012. Okay. So. All right. All right. In 2012, Obama's running for a second term, and a lot of yep. people were really sour on the government at that time for a number of reasons, not the least of which was because he was black. Um, yeah, indeed. But also, there, there were legitimate grievances, but then branding had become so strong on the right, and I mean the right with a capital R, due to the Koch brothers, that any regulation seemed like a harmful overreach. And since the government had absolutely failed to prosecute anyone for the financial meltdown, a lot of folks were disillusioned as hell with the system, and the Tea Party grew and grew thanks to Coke money. So that's okay. that's yeah. the background right. in which this gets written. In some ways, the movie got called out as a polemic against the Occupy movement, uh, which was taking which was taking the Occupy movement to the extreme under Bain. Um, and you winced at that, and I think I know why. It's because the movie is actually kind of a bad parody of the Occupy movement. Um, you know? All right. Yeah. <clears throat> so here's the deal. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely favorite part mm-hmm. of that film is when uh, Dr. Crane mm-hmm. reappears. We haven't seen him in you know, a couple of movies now, but he shows back up as the judge in a people's tribunal that is taken uh-huh. straight out of a, a British characterization of the French revolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Dr. Crane for the uninitiated is scarecrow, right? And he's the only Ooh. villain that's appeared in all three Nolan movies. Oh, yeah, he did appear in the second one, didn't he? Which means that fear is never defeated. It's always it's there. Always, yeah, it's always there. And and him, him like, clearly, I mean, he's, he's of course, you know, batshit crazy. Because uh, ever, ever since the end of the first movie, he's been, you know, just yep. nut bar. Um, you know, overdosed on his own, on his own stuff. And so he's, he's clearly not thoroughly hinged uh, um and he's and he's you know and 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 the and the set design on this bit was just fucking brilliant it's this it's it's you know this huge room with a big parquet floor as i recall and he's and he's sitting behind this this monolithic desk and and the crowd is shouting i mean it's it, i mean it's straight out of robespierre it's it's straight out of oh, scarlet yeah. pimpernel you know which is interesting because, of course, the Scarlet Pimpernel is, in some ways, the the ultimate ancestor of Batman as the first, you know, masked mm-hmm. hero kind of figure in mm-hmm. literature. But anyway, I'm getting off the subject. But he he's 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 like so clearly hamming it up mm-hmm. as as he's delivering quote unquote justice to 
the the you know rich and well fed right of, of Gotham. Oh yeah. To to the to the cheers and and jeers of a of a howling mob. And you know the thing is that isn't just a parody of the Occupy movement. That's a parody of the Tea Party too. Now the the political motivation of the Tea Party was coming from a different direction. It was. But the anti-elitism mm-hmm. of the Tea Party. You mean the populism? Because that's what it no. was. It was anti-elite. Uh, I... Well, because populism is almost always anti-elitist. Yes. Yeah. And that's what was able to be perverted right away by rich people. Because they're like, oh, we don't want them to be anti-elite against us so yeah no we yeah. we want to we want to we want to turn around who the elite is that they're that they're right pissed off at right yeah and and you know uh coke brothers astroturf yeah very very rapidly yeah and you know what what i think whether that was a critique of the or a parody of the occupy movement mm-hmm. or some other political movement i think if you show the same film translated into name language in whatever other country, mm-hmm. um, I think you're going to find that it is whatever populist movement there is. Yeah. Is, is what's, is what people are going to interpret as being parodied there being, being vill- villainized and, and turned into a cartoon of itself. I can I can see that. Um, I I would just say that the Occupy movement was never bought up, and and perverted by the Koch brothers. The Tea Party movement was, and so the Occupy movement got to retain its um, leftist and commonsensical uh, yeah. ideology, um, but it was very quickly lambasted and roasted by the right and by elitists and then by the tea partiers who I was always just in there going like, you guys could, be, okay, you, you're not. Okay. But, you know, you know, if, if you bothered to actually listen to what they're trying to fucking say, you might realize yeah. you had an awful lot in common. Okay. That's right, why they were cool, divided. Fine, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and again, yeah. because they were basically our generation's bonus marchers. Yeah. These the people yeah. who were in charge absolutely saw the danger of that and divided them very easily and then set one against yeah. the other, created a propaganda channel and whatnot. But so yeah. it, it does end up being a parody of Occupy. And I do love what you pointed out that it's a tribunal, it's really high up, it's overwrought. It's kind of the only thing that's that is an echo to the original Batmans uh from the eighties, in that you've got this kind of tortured landscape. Um and yeah. And they are going after the well-fed rich people, like you said, which absolutely twigs the fear response of people who are like, look at these Occupy people. Like, look at the worst that could happen, because someday that could be me as a millionaire, and I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, I, I think, I think, you know, because, you know, now now we're living in an era, you know, eight years after that. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus, you have people on on you know Facebook in groups that the two of us frequent, mm-hmm. uh, you know who are you know genuine no shit lefties, 
um, with with only a little bit of irony, actually, you know, posting gifts of the guillotine dropping. Yeah. You know, and it's like there's there's <laughs> like the the people who demonized that back in 2012 didn't understand that they were creating the monster they were afraid of. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, of course, in, in any in any generation, there's always going to be that group of people that are like, no, no, fuck it, fuck it all, burn the system down. You know, mm-hmm. it's the only way, only way we're going to get justice is if we destroy what's here. You know, there's always going to be those folks, mm-hmm. and you know, but I think, I, I think, in in the Zoomer generation, there are right now more of them than there have been in, than there were in our cohort. Or there were even in the millennials, mm-hmm. and I think the reason is because things have gotten so fucked. Yes, that, that is that that is no longer looking like such an extreme idea. Yeah, like well, I no, think no, you know, I think the creation of the monster that they didn't realize. I think they didn't care because their wealth enabled them to buy up islands and get LASIK surgery. And, like, that's kind of the flex now for young tech bros is to get LASIK surgery and to buy an island somewhere and to stockpile it just in case. So they don't care about the monster getting loose because they've got a a helicopter at the ready. And the Koch brothers figured they would be dead before it really got bad. And they were half right. So, okay. So... (laughs) Nolan totally, totally denies uh, that he was trying to parody Occupy. He claims that he's just trying to, quote, show the cracks of society, show the conflicts that someone would try to wedge open. And he probably is in this movie just trying to do that. But what is our refrain? In the film? No. Or yours and mine on this show. Authorial intent don't mean shit. Right. Yeah. So by 2012, yeah. yeah, by 2012, the Tea Party had set itself up as strongly as a foil to the image of Occupy, and they popularized it with billionaire money, so much so that the uh, that um, that at a gaming convention that I was at, there was an Occupy versus the Army minis battle, which my friend set out with tremendous detail. The Occupy folks were the zombies, and the army was the army. Okay, wait, back up. Yeah, sure. Back, back, back the truck up. Uh huh. Uh huh. They they set up a tabletop miniature game. Mm hmm. Explicitly using. Okay. Yep. Okay. And it was Occupy do, do, versus... Have I met these people? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So, unfortunately, since authorial intent, intent means dick, uh, Bane's speeches have worked their way into some pretty notable places. Uh, for instance, Matthew uh, Raza of Salon said, quote... The Christopher Nolan-directed film, and more specifically its fascistic revolutionary villain, Bane, 
has been referenced in racist hate speech directed against Black Lives Matter protesters by the popular alt-right site Virginia Dare and throughout the far-right corners of the internet. So, Which quotes? Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't actually have those quotes. But likely the part where he's standing on the steps and talking about, you know, the, the, the secret masters and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's... Oh, it's really easy that. for racists to adopt the whole Jews replace Jews will not replace us kind of rhetoric and the the whole yeah. idea of you know a secret you know elitists and stuff like that. It just it's ridiculous. Um. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh. So uh, again, he, it, it's so funny how an author will very often say, "Oh no, I didn't mean to do that," and then it always gets adopted by one side only, like and very memeified, you know. Well, because because the thing is, once it gets once it gets memeified, mm-hmm. once once you take anything and you turn it into, you know, a viral thing, it it carries that connotation forward forever. So you know, like you know, think about Pepe the Frog. Like there are there mm-hmm. are people now as we speak who are trying. Uh, to reclaim Pepe because the 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 creator is distraught that a you know happy go lucky freewheeling pot smoking frog character he created has been turned into a symbol of hate. You know, and there and there are people who are working to try to reclaim it, but like the amount of energy it's going to take to do that is yeah. that's a good point. You know, you know, and and that's that's why in heathen communities mm-hmm. there is so much vitriol uh, going on between, you know, non non racist Norse heathens and you know the fascist fucks. Right. Because you're ruining you know, our and, brand. <laughs> you're, you're like 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 you know, um, and 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 there's a there's a there's a very very big. Uh, you know, push. They're they're getting a lot of pushback. You know, mm-hmm. the, the fascists are getting a lot of pushback because you know once you appropriate these symbols, mm-hmm. we're not going to be we're not going to be able to use them anymore. Look at Hindus. You know, and oh, look and, at skinheads. Buddhists. Yeah. You know, yeah. coming out of the Shit, rude boy culture. Man. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I mean, you know, just huge. You know, sharps mm-hmm. like. You know, and and the thing is, once once something gets attached to those kinds of things, it's. Like, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of the people who just says, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but if you're operating a Buddhist temple anywhere outside of Asia, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want to see a swastika on your building because yeah. if you're operating that temple in the United States, you know what that means to people here. Yeah. Redecorate. Yeah, that simple. Yeah. You know, read, you know, find, find other symbolism because, you know, Lord knows Buddhism has plenty of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and the same thing to, to Hindus. You know, um, yeah. and, you know, and then if, if I get pushback from any of them about it, I'll be very pointed about the relationship between, you know, Indians and the Third Reich. Um, yeah. Which there's a whole story there, but I'm getting off the subject. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, once once one side claims something, it's really hard for the other side to get any traction with it. Yeah. Like, like the only, the only choice you have at that point is to add another panel to the meme cartoon and respond. 
That's a really good way to put it. And and yes, I think that I also would say that the right is always so much better at branding than the left because there's an ideological purity that comes so from the right because it's reactionary at the at the edges. Um oh, yeah. well, and the yeah. edges are well, what I... are yanking things whereas on the left it's radicalizing and that that is very hard to brand because you radicalize from so many different corners that you yeah. you end up with coalitions always on the left. Well, yeah, yeah, you wind up you wind up with a coalition and and um I'm trying god, I'm trying to remember the quote, but you know, it's 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 in in a more milk toast version. It's it's the uh, criticism that's always been leveled against uh, in modern times anyway. It's always been leveled against the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Is that you know, it isn't one party. Right. It's it's five different political parties in a trench coat, you know, trying yeah. to, trying to act <laughs> like one, you know, uh, where, where everybody on the other side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, is, is capable of, you know, they, they, they all have points that they, that they have obviously clearly immediately in common. Whereas on, on the left, like my, my perception growing up as a, as you know, a, a, you know, Republican kid was, and, and then turning into, you know, a Republican voter at the beginning of my, you know, political awakening was, you know, on the, on the left, uh, or what counts as the left in the United States, you know, in the democratic party, it was, it was a whole bunch of uh, you know, one issue kind of people mm-hmm. who all had, who, who, and this is the important part, who all had their pet issue and wanted to push their pet issue, you know, in front of every other issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the Republican side, and as a, as a 21 year old, I wouldn't have spotted this, mm-hmm. but now I can look at it and say, well, you know, on the right, of course, in the Republican party, there's plenty of one issue fucking voters. But they all have the recognition that, no, no, I'm a one-issue voter, but I'm on the same side as that one-issue voter. Right. He's a gun guy. I'm an abortion guy or right. anti-abortion guy, and, like, we we agree. Right, yeah. And so we're – we're this is our team, mm-hmm. you know. Again, and, branding. And, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, on, on, the other, on the other side, I think because – classical liberalism falls to the left of center now in our in our discourse uh you know the idea of forming a coalition is kind of by itself seen as like leftist soy boy kind of idea mm-hmm. you know and 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 so everybody has their their own you know issue their own thing so anyway yeah 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 i i somewhere i lost the thread but anyway <laughs> carrying on so uh, yeah, uh, Bane's speech gets adopted by right-wingers uh, who are bullying and attacking and threatening Black Lives Matter people who are saying, hey, we should get to exist too. Anyway, this this is a man, Bane, who takes center stage as Batman is trying to retreat. And in every scene, Batman absolutely gives ground to Bane visually. He's old news, Bane is newer, nastier, and more ruthless. So what's going on here is is not a good good development. Um, 
in general. Like the world is getting more brutal. And the hero, you remember there was that all that talk about not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. Yeah. That's fucking gone. Like it has nothing to do with that. Now it's might makes right. That's it. Um, Anyway, so uh, another major theme here is masks. Now, I already talked about how Bane and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're literally the negative of each other. But every main character in this wears a mask. Batman, Bane, and Catwoman. Bane wears one to sustain himself. Catwoman wears a mask to enable her to perform the crime she uses to sustain herself. And Batman wears a mask to sustain his identity. Every single one of them is covering something, and every single one of them has an existential connection to their masks. All right. Now, Nolan said that The Dark Knight Rises was about pain. And it is. Uh, But more so, it's about the pain of abandonment. Speaking of existentialism. An, An orphan, literally someone who is abandoned by his parents, either by choice or by death, convinces Bruce Wayne to take on the mantle again. Alfred then quits, resigning in protest, hoping that Bruce Wayne will feel abandoned enough to not become Batman. But Bruce goes ahead anyway, trusting Catwoman to bring him to Bane. To me, that was the moment where I was just like, oh my God, this is this is a tragedy. It was when Alfred was like, I can't, I have to quit. I can't support mm. you in this. Yeah. And he, here's where the abandonment is most keenly felt. It's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It's amazingly well done. Catwoman takes Batman through the sewers. So journey into the underworld, being led by Sybil. Okay, yeah. Um, And she locks a door behind him. And now he's trapped on a catwalk. Funny. Um, And at this moment, the musical score completely stops. And then the fight commences. And Batman is outclassed in every way by Bane. The only soundtrack that we have to this is the sounds of the blows hitting Batman. Batman has been abandoned by Alfred. He's been betrayed by Catwoman. And he's being destroyed by Bane. And even the sound, the score has abandoned him. He has to go through all of this alone, which ends up leaving him a literally broken shell of himself, a physical manifestation of who he already is mentally. Wow. Yeah. And all of this leads to his isolation away from his beloved, a fact I still can't figure out why, Gotham. He eventually heals, and he finds a way out through sheer force of will. So back to the Nietzsche stuff. And eventually, Mm. he gets back to Gotham just in time to save it from a nuclear bomb, total obliteration. Um, But uh, by this point, Bruce Wayne and Batman are completely on autopilot. Ha, ha, ha. Um, Uh. There's no more conflict. There's simply the march toward obliteration, whether it's a physical one or a metaphorical one. So in this trilogy, the Batman has gone through a whole arc. It's an existential arc, but it is an arc. He goes from anger, rage, and importantly, despair turned inward. And he focuses them outward, and then he fights against the forces of chaos, both within and without. Batman struggles with his identity, anguishing against the choices that he'll have to make in order to declare his most authentic self. And then he hits rock bottom. He is abandoned by all he loves. He is broken by all of it. And when he returns, it's to commit suicide. So I'm going to say those things again 
and you'll hear the movies add in that order, right? So uh, he goes from anger, rage, and importantly, despair turned inward. He then okay. focuses them outward. Isn't that all of Ra's al Ghul's training? He yeah. then fights the forces of chaos, both within and without. Okay. Isn't that yeah, Joker? That's... Okay. You're right. Yeah. He struggles yeah. with his identity, and he's anguishing against the choices he'll have to make in order to declare his most authentic self. Isn't that Two-Face? Yeah. And then he hits rock bottom. Like Rachel, Rachel does. Yep. And then he hits rock bottom, and he's abandoned by all he loves, and he's broken by all of it. That's exactly what we see in this third movie. And when he returns, it's to commit suicide. It's almost as though he has seen the absurdity in who he is. And now we have Camus saying, here's why you commit suicide. Although Camus okay. said you don't, but yeah, this is yeah, know, yeah. This but is the, the answer urge, to that question. This is the urge to. Yes. Yeah. Now, if that arc isn't a perfect summation of our democracy and our willingness to engage in it from 25 or 2005 to 2012, I don't know what is. America went from an unending war under Bush to an unending war under Obama. And while that's awful, what really chapped a lot of people's hide was the skin color of the president and the willingness to let mass shootings go unabated. Clearly a gritty Batman, one who suffered similar struggles with identity and made the same impossible choices that Americans thought they were making at the time, is the only way to go. Okay. So Christian Bale's Batman was a deeply conflicted, originally vengeance-driven, but ultimately self-annihilating Batman, which is precisely what was happening politically and culturally at the time for a large segment of American males. Wow, the self-annihilation part I hadn't caught, really. Yep. Maybe that's, I don't know, but yeah, that, yeah, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that takes us to 2016. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Batman versus Superman. Oh, Jesus. The Ben Affleck one. The one where both of their moms are named Martha. And Which, you know, is interesting because that is actually canon. And I hadn't ever realized that until, <laughs> until the internet exploded with jokes about, oh, well, you know, oh, my God, our mothers have the same name. Yeah. We're bros now. Yeah. Like, you know, and yeah. And, and, oh, yep. okay. So go ahead. Well, go and ahead. just, just, you know, that, that very thing kind of highlights the difference between growing up with love and growing up with stuff. Mm-hmm. They had the same mother, okay. but it doesn't mean they had the same mom. No, no. So, no. although I, I will say, you know, mm-hmm. canonically in, in the comics, yeah. Uh, in, in the new 52, Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we actually get to see something of Martha Wayne mm-hmm. in, in flashbacks and, um, you know, had she not been murdered in an alley, she was, you know, I mean, canonically she, she did, she did a pretty good job being a, you know, loving parent. Well, yeah, I'm sure so, that, you, you know, know, you know but, Thomas loved him too, but it doesn't help pay the rent when you're dead well actually it does because well, he left a trust fund but yeah yeah so yeah. so this is also the one where he uses a voice modulator which is the natural progression from what we've seen with i'm gonna deepen my voice to i've got throat cancer to i have all these fucking gadgets why don't i just change <laughs> I my voice 
Yeah, I, I sound like I sound like you know uh, Godfather actual from Generation Kill. Yeah, you know. So this one is the second movie in the DC EU, um, where they've seen seen Marvel succeed over the years, and they try to fast track their success to match it right away instead of build. <sighs> well, okay. So so mm-hmm. th- there's there's several things wrong with with the way the DCEU tried to do things or, or DCCU mm-hmm. has tried to do things. It, well, one of them is they they tried to hurry everything, which yeah. is not not right. The second thing is, um, what what I'm what I'm going to say is my my own opinion on this is what they've what they've done wrong or what they started out doing wrong was when you have characters like DC's characters mm-hmm. you really have to be very careful about the tone yes of what it is that you're doing and you need to understand where the basic appeal of these characters comes from mm-hmm. and like I mean, to get, to go to the MCU, you know, Iron Man got made mm-hmm. and, you know, they figured out or, or I don't know if they figured out or if, or if they just said, you know, okay, look, we're going to make an Iron Man movie. And they looked at Iron Man and they said, you know, what, what makes this dude, Tony Stark, this dude, Tony Stark. And I mean, it would be very difficult for for any any director or producer to get as lucky as they got capturing the lightning in the bottle that is, you know, actually finding Tony Stark to play the role. Yes. You know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, the, one of my favorite ever descriptions of, of you know, Robert Downey Jr. at, at Comic-Con uh, was an io9 uh, video. They, they had video of him at I don't remember what year it was before Iron Man three, I think. And, uh, uh it was, uh, here's Tony Stark, uh, doing his best Robert Downey Jr. Impersonation. Nice. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was perfect lightning in a bottle kind of casting, but the way they wrote the script, it was really clear that like, no, we're going to do an Iron Man movie. And if this works, we're going to build out from it. But like, that's it. You yeah. Know? And what they tried to do with with the DC Cinematic Universe was, okay, we're going to start with Superman and, you know, this is going to be this is going to be the cornerstone of us duplicating what what the MCU did. Right. And then they fucked up Superman like for an awful lot of fans. They just completely fucked up the core of the character. Well, I also don't think that Superman can come out as your first character. Yes, ultimately, that too. Yeah, you know, I mean, you've got to you got to start someplace else. Yeah, yeah, you need to start with not the Boy Scout. But now, oddly yeah. enough, this movie premiered in Mexico City before it came to the U.S. the next week. That was just one of those it's, little, yeah, it was a little tidbit. I was like, that's that's worthy of note. Um, now, like with seemingly every other Batman, this one was beset by questions as to if the actor who was tapped was good for the role. Plenty of people rejected it out of hand preemptively because they didn't like the idea of who was going to play Batman. Now, this particular one starts much later in Batman's career. I mean, it still references his parents getting killed because if there's one thing people really like about Batman, it's the death of his parents, evidently. I would say R.I.P. Martha and Thomas, but they clearly cannot rest in peace because yeah, it's no, every they keep movie. They up every iteration. Yes. 
You know, um, that's actually one of the things I'm kind of stoked about about the upcoming Batman film is, mm-hmm. by all accounts, we're we're not going to have to see his origin in this one. But then, how will we know how he got started? Uh, they're going to give us credit for understanding that because it's fucking Batman. Yeah, there, there's a reason we're on episode J of this Batman yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, Ben Affleck is now Bruce Wayne, who has been Batman in Gotham for about 20 years now. So we're starting to see some some of the comic stuff going on, right? And this opens the door to all kinds of interesting possibilities, not the least of which is, how's his body holding up? Um. <laughs> But now the worlds in the DCEU are colliding and Superman, the Man of Steel, came out about three years prior. And the battle between Zod and Superman has left a bad taste in people's mouths about Superman. Because of all the destruction that 9-11 created, the very rich guy who doesn't respect the rule of law is down on immigrants who looks like... Oh, sorry. Um, But... (laughs) Ah... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, So because of the fight between Superman and Zod, Bruce Wayne, who is Batman, sees Superman as a genuine and existential threat to Gotham and the rest of humanity. Which isn't entirely illogical. It's not illogical, but and, and it is something that gets brought up in the comics later on, but I do find it interesting that we have a post 9 11 Batman look. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. How could we not? Yeah. You know, I, I think um, there was some place I was going to go with this, um, but I, I think I think the the idea that, especially, I mean, the way they chose to do Superman, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I know I'm gonna keep harping on this as long as we're talking about the the DCEU films, mm-hmm. because of the way they chose to introduce Superman, I don't think any of the paranoia mm-hmm. that 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 we see Bruce Wayne you know having toward Cal L mm-hmm. is is unfounded or inappropriate okay because in in the course of a glorified fist fight he leveled significant portions of metropolis and let's let's talk about how many thousands of people were killed by falling masonry, shattered glass, flipped cars, explosions, all of the shit that happened right. in that fight scene. You know, I think the thing is, unless you're just going to, you know, dig up hand wavium somehow and mm-hmm. be like, well, you know, somehow nobody was killed. Um, you know, there there is no way that making that yeah, script choice and that directorial choice doesn't wind up having a negative knock-on effect on everything you do after that. And the problem is that th- that does wind up then kind of pushing Batman in the direction of being a dick mm-hmm. because he's Batman, and what's one of Batman's superpowers? Being rich. Being prepared. Well, one. Oh. <laughs> but being prepared for every eventuality and being you know having yep. a plan for every case. And in this case, you've just introduced an immigrant human, who looks white but isn't, and is a human neutron bomb. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You're entirely right, and I'm not trying to take anything away from right. that argument. Right. But I'm also saying, yeah, this is this know, is how you can push that agenda because th- this is one of those 
um, very real things that's true about Superman, like you said, is that he is a weapon of mass destruction. Yes. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, this is so, so totally post 9-11. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. No, yeah. it totally is. And, and the thing is, this, I think, mm-hmm. to me, this comes back to, to, again, how fucking irresponsible Zack Snyder's Man of Steel fucking was. Mm. Because the thing is, you completely turn Superman from, uh, you know, your, your brother is a huge Superman fan. Like, like yeah. I've gotten into passionate debates with him about Superman versus Cap. And, of course, we both know I'm a Cap guy. You and I are both. Oh, Cap yeah, I'm guys. a total Cap guy. But but you know his, your your brother's take on it I think is is really is is really powerful which mm-hmm. is he has he he isn't human but he chooses to be mm-hmm. he's a god who wants to be one of us yes and he's a god who strives this this really critical who strives to be yes one of us and when you take the part about striving to be one of us out of the character, when you turn that, when you turn that inward and turn that into this emo, well, you know, I have all this power and I, and I can't show it because, you know, you know, I've got, I've got to keep my secrets and I can't, you know, because my dad is Kevin Costner and tells me not to. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, when you, when you make that choice to, to go and the cheap shot here would be to say emo with that, but I, I don't want to take the cheap shot. You know, when you, when you choose to turn that in. Okay. Well, let me let me re- reframe that. When you internalize people's inherent distrust of you because of your difference from them, it can radicalize you to not caring about the people who only see you as a threat. Okay. All right. And and then. Fair enough. Yeah, and then you've got a millionaire who, you know, and on and on and on and on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So meanwhile, you've got Clark Kent, who is Superman, but in reporter form. He wants to expose Batman, because Batman is a goddamn vigilante who people seem okay with for some reason. Okay. So eventually Lex Luthor does the Baron Zemo thing and also Wonder Woman gets involved eventually and Batman wants to use Kryptonite to defeat Superman if he needs to and he builds an Iron Man suit and he gets ready to fight the Man of Steel who's also in exile. Um, Batman gets super overzealous about it. He doesn't care who he's working for so long as he can kill Superman and he's ready to work right alongside fellow industrialist Lex Luthor to kill Superman. So now you have two millionaires gunning for an immigrant. Luckily, <laughs> shit, this was made in 2016, man. Like, what yeah, do you want? Yeah, you know, yeah, I know. Yeah. No, an, an immigrant yeah. whose whose status is now questionable. Is he really even one of us? Doesn't that sound a little birthery? Oh, a little. Yeah. So luckily, Superman, in the middle of their fight, mentions his mom's name, which is the same name as Batman's mom, but she's already dead, uh, whereas Superman's mom is still alive. And then they bond over having moms with the same name. And Batman realized that he's gotten really obsessed with his hatred of Arabs after 9-11. Sorry. He realized he's gotten really obsessed with the threat that Superman represents post-God battle and forgot that there's another way to keep the world safe besides siding with fucking evil. Okay. Lex Luthor. So here's, 
What's that? Having 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 not seen the film. Uh huh. Having having just like totally not seen the film. Uh, but you know, read read synopses and seen bits and pieces. Does does Clark, not Clark? Does Bruce mm-hmm. know throughout the film that no? As a matter of fact, Lex Luthor is fucking evil. Like I mean, is is well, you know, he's he's evil, but I'm working with him because I'm achieving a greater good. Or he sees like, him it... similar to how and and y'all feel free to at me. This is fine. Um, but he sees him in the same way that Tony Stark sees Obadiah Stane. Like pre pre Obi coming up with the Iron Man killer suit. Like this is a guy or or the way he sees Justin Hammer in the second movie. This is a guy okay. who is a competitor okay. who is less than okay. ethical, but I've dealt with worse. Okay, because because Obadiah Stane mm-hmm. is almost a surrogate father figure. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. And that's why I had so to amend that. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's different. Okay. okay, so it's yeah. So, it's, so it's hammer hammeroids. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay, got it. Lex Luthor yeah. sees that his plan's not gonna work after all because Martha. And he begins plan B. <laughs> <laughs> So he starts plan B, which is a super monster version of Zod plus Luther that can't possibly be beaten by Superman and Batman until, of course, Wonder Woman shows up and then the three of them team up to defeat this monster. All is well, except that Superman dies in the battle at the last minute, and this gives Batman the guilt that he needs to go on being Batman, but this time with a team of superhuman types. Okay. Yeah. So as as the guy who who you know started this whole brouhaha with with the comic history, I just mm-hmm. want to point out that it's so okay. We're we're looking at one movie mm-hmm. that managed to encapsulate the ending of The Dark Knight Returns. Yep. And the Doomsday Arc mm-hmm. from the Superman comics. Mm-hmm. And they decided somehow that narratively. We're going to throw both of those fuckers at the wall at the same time. Yes. Just from a from a plot standpoint. Mhm. That's fucking stupid. Like yeah. there's too much going on there. Well, you got to catch which, up to Marvel. Which... Okay. Now, now here's and the other thing I want to say is, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, Superman, who uh-huh. of course you know got introduced DCEU by Snyder in a way that I'm never going to stop harping on because mm-hmm. fuck you, and and then you know Batfleck, who the bits I've seen, I think his, his portrayal is yeah. perfectly adequate. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not going to say like I like Bale better, but I'm not going to say he sucked. You know? Right, right. And and so you have that that version of Batman. You have that version of Superman, and then you throw Wonder Woman into the mix, and she's the only one I'm fucking rooting for. Yeah. Like, like at all. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because she's the only one who actually has, like, she's the Girl Scout. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So anyway, can't, yeah, keep so, going. So what's I, just, n- I had to point that out. Yeah. So what's noteworthy about this particular depiction of Batman is the age and the mileage. He as Affleck put it, is, quote, a little older, he's a little more world-weary, he's been around the block once or twice, so he's a little wiser, but he's definitely more cynical and a little darker and more jaded. 
you can say a lot with understatements. Um, the violence has deadened him a bit, and it's stolen his ideology. Zack Snyder, the director, uh, praised Bat- or Affleck for uh, as a choice because, quote, Ben provides an interesting counterbalance to Henry's Superman. He has the acting chops to create a layered portrayal of a man who is older and wiser than Clark Kent and bears the scar- scars of a seasoned crime fighter but retain the charm of the world sees in billionaire Bruce Wayne. Okay. So why do an older Batman? Because we've seen a lot of Batman. It's old news to us at this point. And a reimagining is not going to do anything to bring folks and keep them interested anymore. You are aiming at the people who went and saw all the other Batman movies. We've seen a new Batman every couple of Batman movies or so. So if you're going to keep doing these movies, time has to pass. And also in 2016, everyone had been through the last nine years or so of economic awfulness, as well as 15 years of an unending war. We as a culture had aged in a very unfortunate way. There was no more idealism, not with the unending war, the economic crash, the rise of hate groups, the rise of mass shootings, and the rise of hyperpartisanship. And people we were tired, were, we so were, Bruce Wayne was also tired. We were dead into the violence. We mm-hmm. were a little darker. We were a little more cynical. Mm-hmm. To understate things. Yes. Just as like you said. Just like in eighty nine, we suffered from depression. And in ninety two, <laughs> we suffered from uh wanting to take off our masks and false memories in ninety five and in ninety seven wanting nipples. Um, like we just constantly uh are reflected in Batman. Nice nice way to Thank you. Nice way to slip that one in there. There is there is there, uh, there is no, literally no substance to that Batman. Poor George Clooney. Yeah, you know, and and I really like George Clooney. Yeah, like he was underused he for that. He's a guy. He's a very charismatic actor. Mm-hmm. Like the the you know Ocean's Eleven. His his version of Ocean's Eleven is one of those few remakes of a film that's actually way better than the original. Mm-hmm. Oh, and geez, like, like watch him in Michael Clayton. There is like a contained rage in that one. Watch him in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. There's a buffoonery in that. Like he is yeah. a good actor. He's yeah. he's got chops, and yeah. he also did Batman. So yeah, well you know. So this is actually the first time Batman really acknowledged the 9/11 phenomenon that Marvel has brought into every single one of its movies. And this is my big criticism of Marvel movies. Like, I love them. They're fun. They're schlocky. They're great. And they they tickle me in all the right places. But every single one of them has a 9-11 moment. Um, Uh, I I wish I could more articulately argue with you about that. But I kind of can't. Yeah. Yeah. The only one I can think of that doesn't is the one that doesn't happen in America. Black Panther. Because you don't yeah, have giant buildings falling down. You don't have cityscapes getting destroyed. It's somewhat localized to, you know, little little battles here and there. A lot of machinery gets fucked up, but Captain you don't... Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel, you have... Oh, doesn't she have dreams and stuff about a planet blowing up or whatnot? Maybe. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch that. I don't know. Add us. Okay. Um, yeah, all right, yeah. So... This is also, like I said, the time where a a city getting destroyed matters. Metropolis getting destroyed mattered. It was a plot point. People were displaced. Superman couldn't just set it all back to normal. I mean, what's he going to do? Fly around the world until it turns backwards and rewind time? That would be stupid. 
Um, so <laughs> I'm just Margo I'm so kidding. Glad, I'm so glad you brought that up. Bruce Wayne, so billionaire who owned buildings in Metropolis, quote, new people who died in that Black Zero event. Zack Snyder wanted real consequences in the fake cities because we'd been dealing with the very real consequences for more than a decade and a half by that point. This Batman has been Batmaning in a world of increased fear. Fear is not the enemy, however. This Bruce Wayne has been billionaring in a world of increased fear, but fear is no longer the enemy. Superman is the avatar of that fear, and Superman becomes that enemy. This movie does what Civil War teased us with. I think this movie Civil War better than Civil War did. Cinematically, or you mean in the comic? In terms of the true division where you actually have a dilemma, because both both arguments are actually good arguments. I cannot okay. deny okay. The, su- the, the, the destructive power of Superman. I cannot deny that. People no. will have me over a barrel on that one six ways from Sunday. Just like I will have them over the barrel over the fact that like, oh, okay, you just want a fascist government who hates immigrants. Like we are both right and there's no need to yield ground for either of us when it comes to that. Just like in the Civil War comic. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a much more dilemma y kind of thing. Yeah. It no, was. I, okay. You know? Right. But in the in the movie it really wasn't. It just was there the stakes weren't. Oh well deep yeah, no, in the, the movie yeah. no, the movie the movie failed. Yeah. Um I I gotta say, of of all of the uh M- MCU films, mm-hmm. for me, uh the biggest disappointment mm-hmm. was Civil War. I think if you'd called it something different arc from a narrative arc standpoint, it was civil war. If, if, if they had not tried to evoke the, the comic miniseries with the title, if they just said, okay, this is going to be an adventure movie. We're going to touch on some of those same themes, but we're not going to call it that. Right. I, I would not have left the theater being like, okay, that was a really great action film, Mm -hmm. but, that was not Civil War. I, I agree that was, completely. That was not what was advertised on the tin. Like, yeah. I had a lot of fun. That was, you know, there, there were moments in that film that were that were amazing and, and awesome, and it brought up some really valid questions, but it was not Civil War. You know, I, I, I agree completely, and I think that it was actually a really good movie, and it ought to have been titled something different because I think it yeah. brought in all kinds of really cool stuff and just the idea that the villain was a basic human. Oh, yeah. And so many – like, all of that was fantastic. He was um, – I, I want to see more of that Baron Zemo because he's the mm-hmm. Moriarty of the MCU. He really is, you know. And, and I also really liked just the – the arc that T'Challa had, I love the fact that Tony Stark was like he—he's suffering mass. Like the the whole arc of Tony Stark is uh arc, huh? Um, arc reactor, but like he yeah. he's absolutely suffering from PTSD and guilt over his own hand in things, and and then he sees someone else having you know, and just the the moral struggle that that Steve Rogers has, like all of it is, and and never mind Natasha's trying to walk the line like it's it's all of it is really yeah. good um yeah. but yeah and that's that's a and, different and that's whole, a different episode the whole, 
whole interaction between uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch. Yes. And just the fact that, you know, it, Cap called out the fact that this is internment camps. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, cool. Like, but it was not the Civil War. It was not the Civil War event that yeah. we saw. It couldn't have been. But anyway, Bruce Wayne. Yes. He is a billionaire. Sorry. He is hawkish as fuck when it comes to Superman. He sees only black and white and wants to preemptively end the threat of Superman before it becomes a real threat. He's going to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. He is Bush Doctrine given life. Superman, by the oh, way. Oh, that hurts. It's, yeah. Superman, by the way, especially since he's a reporter in his alter ego, is very much liberal idealism. Lex Luthor is fucking Halliburton and Dick Cheney. <laughs> that's that's an insult to Lex Luthor. He is not Dick Cheney. Well, he was never a vampire. Okay, fair. But he does see opportunity in other people's fear, and he doesn't care about the destruction his efforts will cause, largely oh, yeah. because he'll profit from that too. Oh, yeah. But back to Bruce Wayne. He's American fear personified. See, fear's not the enemy. Fear becomes us. Far more than Christian Bale's first installment, far more than Val Kilmer's version, Ben Affleck is the reflexive, strike-out-of-fear, security-over-liberty, brittle, cynical Batman that we see in the Dark Knight Returns comic. He's perfectly fine with the police state because that'll at least keep us safe, and he's as traumatized by Metropolis falling as was Tony Stark by Sokovia. He doesn't care about justice, he cares about security, and fuck any kind of humanity, unless he finds out that your mom had the same last name as him. Then he can come right back to reasons uh, that he start bat- started Batmaning to begin with. But until then, he's this century's right, and he doesn't care to understand what he deems the enemy because he's afraid of it. All right. So in 2016, that makes perfect sense. Empathy was all but gone by March of 2016, and fear was in full fucking swing. Star Wars had a similar version of Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne. Kylo Ren. Angry and petulant, ruled by his fear and willing to sacrifice his humanity for the attainment of power over his fear. And you know, what's what's interesting is the way that you frame that mm-hmm. makes it really clear one of those series turned that guy into the hero. Mm-hmm. The other one very clearly turned that guy into, I mean, the villain. Mm-hmm. And and not merely not merely the villain, but there's something about Kylo Ren that I think that I think is important. Is part of the reason there was so much fan hate from certain quarters was he's a pathetic figure. Yes. He, he is, he is, he is still an angry little kid. Yeah. Like he's incredibly powerful. He's, he's terrifyingly powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and he has, he, you know, he, but, but he doesn't, he doesn't recognize his own power in a way that makes him feel secure. He doesn't empower himself. Yeah. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. And, and so all of his behavior mm-hmm. is the tantrum throwing of of a little, of a scared, angry little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told himself that first lie that made sense and got him through the trauma, and he's never gone back. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, and and I don't know. There's there's something there in mm-hmm. that one of these one of these films turned that fear into the hero and the other one highlighted its pathos mm-hmm. and 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 both of these films got an awful lot of fan hate yes <laughs> but but one of them had a lot of fan hate directed at the character right and the other one didn't because there were there were so many guys our age who were just so up in arms about, you know, Kylo Ren sucking and why is Kylo Ren such a disappointment and he should be a badass and all this. Which was really code like, for, I don't like that a woman is, is the hero. Yeah. Well, number one, yeah. it was, I don't like that the woman is, that a woman is a hero. I don't like that, you know, the, the, uh, deuteragonist is African. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. The triteragonist is an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's, there's like, there's so many layers to that, but, but there's also simply the fact that the childhood power fantasy mm-hmm. of, you know, Darth Vader being this terrifying monolith had suddenly been taken away. Right. And it's like, well, I, I can't, I can't, if I identify with that guy, I have to admit that I'm kind of a petulant baby. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other series is like, no, no, it is totally valid for you to be terrified like this because this is scary and like we all need to be afraid and like it's totally valid. Uh huh. Just kind of makes me not like Zack Snyder even more. It, I already don't like him. Yeah, as, it's like he's a director of toxic masculinity on it, some level. Ooh, yeah, he yeah. really is. But so anyway, moving on. So here's a funny thing, fun thing that I found for you about this particular iteration of Batman. In December 2013, good lord, uh, Chris Terrio was hired to rewrite the script for this movie. Terrio said that the movie would draw inspiration from Nolan's Batman trilogy. Also, Italian semiotican uh, Umberto Eco's 1972 essay, The Myth of Superman, and the W.H. Auden poem, Musée des Beaux-Arts. Des Beaux-Arts, it's French. The B E A U X arts. Musée Musée de Beaux Arts. Yeah, there you go. Pronouncing it as as well as an English speaker probably can. There you yeah. go. Which contrasts the mundane and daily details of normal people's lives with the epic struggles of mythological figures, according to okay. Terrio. Quote: In superhero stories, Batman is Pluto, god of the underworld, and Superman is Apollo, god of the sky. That began to really be interesting to me. That their conflict is not just due to manipulation, but their very existence. And Ed is doing the victory dance. Called it. Yep. Well, so I mean, this was written was, with was, that in mind. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very and, cool. And that's why the colors are so washed out, because this is what happens when the underworld fights the sky. Fuck me. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, also in yeah. the underworld, there's a fuck ton of rules. And everybody has an orderly way to be, whereas under the sky, anything goes, and that's chaos. Which is which is really odd because mm-hmm. this guy is Apollonian. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a goddamn minute. Wait. <laughs> oh, that victory dance going away. Back, back the truck. Up. Well, no, I'm, I'm just yeah. like that's 
that's a really interesting. Well, because okay, Apollonian, Shit, yes, but that's only when contrasted against Dionysian, not okay. when contrasted against Plutonian. Plutonian, yeah, okay. So Plutonian, Kryptonian, yeah. Huh. All right. Crypt, place where you keep dead people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. And the final fact on this one I found interesting, and I know you'll like this. This is the first movie that lists Bill Finger as first as the creator, not Tim yeah. Kane. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, again, and now I'm forgetting the title of the film, but um, really great documentary about, you know, how Bill Finger got, you know, fucked over. Mm-hmm. Um and and the the only his only surviving descendant is a like great niece. Okay. And um, in in the documentary, one of the things that comes out is she had to essentially agree to look. I'm she, she had to repeatedly tell DC, I'm not looking for any money. I don't want I you know I I mean don't get me wrong if if you want to throw me any bucks I'll take them but like I just want to see that he gets credit for what he created and so the solution yeah no the, the solution that they mm-hmm. they wound up finding you know, coming up with was okay well you know we'll, we'll start giving him credit as co-creator right and you know one one can only hope that his shade is less restless now because mm-hmm. you know but yeah no, I, I do I do remember in in the documentary that's actually a moment that that kind of kind of pulls a tear from one. Sure. Because it's yeah. it's it's a it's a victory after a very long, thankless kind of battle. Yeah. So now it's the twenty seventeen Batman called Justice League. This is the second Bat- hmm. Ben Affleck one. This is the one where they tried to Avengers the DCEU. The one where Batman realizes he needs other people to help him to be a superhero. So in this one, Batman and Wonder Woman form a superhero team to beat Steppenwolf, who is on a magic carpet ride. I don't get it. Uh, Yeah. Likes to dream in between sound machines. Yeah, exactly. I guess. Who thousands of years earlier had been beaten by Atlantis, Olympus, and the Amazons. So now he's back and man wouldn't it be awesome to have superman but too bad so it's time for the super team now this movie gets really deep into cosmology that i know very little about but basically there's these mother boxes which are super powerful to us and the new gods use them like i would use my iphone but they're hidden throughout our world and steppenwolf wakes up and starts hunting for them it's kind of like that five episode special on the weather dominator for gi joe kind of yeah yeah, uh, that's that's actually <laughs> that's actually a really good analogy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so like I wish it wasn't so good an analogy, but um, <laughs> I mean, based on what I understand of the plot of the film, yeah, there, there's a lot. Part of what you have to understand is that Steppenwolf and the New Gods are all the creations of Jack Kirby, right? Uh, in in his in in the in the most. That's the word I'm looking for. In the most Kirby of his Kirby-ness. I was going to say, the most Jack Kirby-esque way of being Jack Kirby. Yeah. 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 You know, um, it, 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 and, and it's it's all immensely high concept. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I mean, you know, if, if you if you really want a head trip and you really want to you know, read a comic book that'll make you wonder, are we sure he didn't do drugs? Like right. Any of the, any of the new God stuff is is going to do the trick for you because it's 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 remarkable. Yeah. And um, yeah, and and so this is this is one of those points where he he you know of course he moved from Marvel to DC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Marvel, he was responsible for, you know, one set of villains who were these, you know, alien space god kind of figures. And then he moved over to DC and he came up with Darkseid and Steppenwolf and right. new gods who were, you know, space gods. Um, yeah. But DC. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he had to pay the bills and, you know, um, and yeah, and, and, and harder core comic book nerds than than me will will be able to debate whether the Marvel mythos or the DC mythos is is better in terms of of this, the ideas he came up with. Right. But yeah. yeah. So it's there there it's like take the Asgardians and, and inject, you know, 60s kind of kind of hippy dip, you know, zoom kind of you know, zoom swish bang kind, right. of, kind of ideas and you get uh the DC new gods. Yeah, it's it's seventies uh space exploration inspiring comic books mixed with uh uh psychedelic um fashion iconography. I mean that's yeah. Re- yeah. There you go. So Steppenwolf yeah. is going all over the place to grab the mother boxes, which <laughs> is just kind of funny to say. Um to <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was written in a more inter- in, in a more innocent time. Right? Yeah, I yeah. Was gonna say, you know? Um, but uh, and and that's to make Darkseed happy with him, and he'll make our planet like Steppenwolf's again, and that just sucks for us because it's bad for us. So we need yeah. heroes. Then you have your standard Act One and Act Two problems getting people on board. Aquaman doesn't want to join, and neither does Cyborg. Flash is a, is a fanboy, so he's in, and they're not nearly strong enough. But then Cyborg joins because his dad immediately threatened gets threatened by Steppenwolf, and and basically the same thing happens for Aquaman. And Steppenwolf has two out of three mother boxes, and Bruce Wayne figures it'd be a good idea to use the third one to reincarnate Superman. So Superman comes back, and they all fight by yeah. accident, and then Batman manipulates an amnesiac Superman into going to Kansas with Lois Lane for a while until it'll be dramatically appropriate. During all of that, the third mother box is forgotten, and Steppenwolf pulls up quick to retrieve it, uh, faster than Sir Mix-a-Lot promises to do with a girl with a big butt. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, saw that one on its way. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Anyway. So uh, they go to Russia, they fight the feudal fight, and then Superman shows up and saves the day ultimately, and afterward everyone goes back to their day jobs, but also everyone agrees that this team is a good idea, and they decide to be a part of it as needed. Now this Batman is not much different from the prior Batman, he's let go of his hatred of foreigners, however. He has redeemed himself from his need for vengeance, and in many ways, he's an echo of the Christian Bale Batman that we see at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises. He's found a measure of peace and a way of living his life that seems to have a lot of balance to it. But then the movie happens, and in this one, he feels very much like the Danny Glover cop who's getting too old for this shit, but is still stuck in it. He's still tired, but now he's inspired again, too. Uh, But yeah, he's older, grumpier, and willing to ask for help when he needs it as he ages. I'd like to think... yeah. I'd like to think that this Batman is a more optimistic look at Batman. He's aged and wizened as Batman. 
He's a Batman who knows that he can't do this forever and whose concern extends far beyond his own Gotham. He is fading into the background, serving more as an advisory leader and letting the others do the work. He's trusting people more. He's accepting his role as not being the most crucial thing. He's a damned adult for once and not fighting his own failings, but actually fighting for something. He's effective and thoughtful, and he shares. We'll see what he does in the next film when he's taken over by, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, uh, Edward Cullen. Thank you, Edward Uh, Cullen. But I do think it's interesting uh, that this particular Batman is not that different than a lot of liberal boomers and liberal Xers who are starting to realize that the millennials and the Zoomers are needing to step in and take up the mantle and they're willing to pass the torch. And I think that's interesting in a movie that was made in 2017. Yeah. After the, uh, the, the circus peanut fascist got uh, elected president and a lot of boomers (laughs) And millennials. I haven't haven't heard the circus peanut comparison (laughs) in in a very long time. Yeah. But Uh, I I do think that like a lot of liberal boomers and millennials would see this Batman and be like, yeah, all right. Like they would vibe with that because we do need to start fading. We accept our spot in history. You know, we start fading. A second ago, I think you mean Xers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Xers. I apologize. Um, Yeah. But we knew we need to step step back and let younger folk step in because they actually know what they're up against and it is their world. Yeah. And we can be advisors, no. but only when they need us. I I like that I like that comparison. I think uh and it's Robert Pattinson, by the ah, way. Ah, that's actor, what it is. Actor's name. Edward Cullen is of course the sparkly vampire that right. he portrayed that pulls him to international fame slash infamy, depending on your opinion of that series. Naturally, by the way, that's that's a whole episode or two that we could probably do something about. Oh hell yeah! Um, but um, everything that I've seen about the the newest movie, I think is we're we're not we're not going to see an extension of the batfleck arc which now that you say all of that i'm a little disappointed mhm um because that is that's genuine kind of that is a genuine character arc which you know kind of kind of even ends on a little bit of a hopeful note in a way yes yes you know and, and like, when's really the last time Batman was hopeful? Ever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been a while. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think it's it's one of the. Oh, oh, hang on one second. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, Ed, what have you gleaned? Go. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you keep going with exactly what you were gonna say, but like, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's interesting that we keep seeing this character mm-hmm. recreated. Yep. To to match the you know, you, you the look, social mores of the time. To match the social mores of the time, and and you know, 
I mean, obviously we do keep seeing him recreated tonight because that's, that's what we do with characters like this. Mm-hmm. You know, look at, look at Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, to talk about another figure that, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is involved in, uh, you know, after, after mentioning Iron Man earlier. Um, but, you know, we, we keep seeing this character, you know, reborn, reinterpreted. And on the one hand, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And and that's part of like what we do as a species um, is we tell myths and then we retell them and we reimagine them. On the other hand, it's kind of disappointing mm-hmm. that we don't ever let him get old. I mean, or, or we do let yeah. him get old, and like him getting old is this is this point of of you know real real contention and and like it's it's a it's a major part of the story if he's gotten old mm-hmm. it's like can he still be batman it's like you know having having a story arc over you know a long period of time and actually you know seeing i i i kind of you know after we've after we've been through, through all of this mm-hmm I almost wish that's that a good way they, to put it too. Fuck. That what they, that what they wound up doing in in the comics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Darkseid showed up and Batman wound up getting you know quote unquote killed, and of course you find out that he's like unstuck in time. Mm-hmm. And but while he's busy, you know, working his way forward from the Neolithic period, oh, <laughs> Jesus, because it's because it's DC, it's like right. It's, pants but anyway so so he's he's bouncing forward in time mm-hmm. and, and while he's gone and everybody thinks he's dead um uh uh i know i've forgotten his name but the, the first uh robin nightwing oh okay dick grayson dick grayson thank you i kept thinking tim drake and i knew i was wrong um uh dick grayson picks up the cowl as as his heir you know, Dick Dick Grayson says, "All right, well, you know, somebody's got to be Batman." And and there's a wonderful, there's a, a really great but very short series of of comics with Dick Grayson uh, uh, being being Batman mm-hmm. and actually has moments where he's interacting with all of the other members of the Bat family from behind the cowl, mm-hmm. and and everybody knows it's not the same Batman and, and there's, you know, there's a great moment where it's like, uh, him, him and him and, and Gordon have, have a great exchange back and forth about, well, you know, I don't do things the same way. Right. You know, and, and, you know, and they, and they kind of flirted with this when, uh, the one time villain turned kind of anti-hero Azrael wound up becoming Batman for a period when Bane had broken his back. Mm hmm. And and it's like you know we've got somebody else under the cowl. It's not Bruce Wayne anymore. And there's a part of me that almost kind of wants that to like be a real thing. Like you know what? Let's let him get old. Let's let him retire. Let him become Oracle. Yes. You know and 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 do that. You know yes. commit to that and and have that and have that become part of the legend. You know, but. We're so tied to the idea of it having to be Bruce Wayne and it having to be tied to his parents being murdered as the reason why he's doing it and all of this. Mm-hmm. 
that in a way the character is kind of trapped and, and yeah we're, and we're the ones who won't let him go well and there's there's your Camus for the day is the absurdity <laughs> of yeah of Batman I mean it really it really is you know in in actualizing himself in his broken way he can never escape who he is he is Sisyphus and he enjoys being Sisyphus well we have to imagine Sisyphus happy right so, so yeah so that's that's my that is that okay. is my ultimately after now god knows how many episodes we've done with this now um i think i think that's that's my that's my takeaway is there's this there's this real um there's this, I, I think I have a deeper understanding of the of the kind of modern myth power of the character mm-hmm. and at the same time I kind of want to see the character get to move on me too me too I really I do I want him to have I want him to have a retirement that's not interrupted by they need him one last time kind of shit yeah like, like, you know you know I trained for fuck's sake I trained th- four five depending on how many you can out yeah can you know i've trained i've trained five people who could replace me i mean you know let's not talk about jason todd because we don't want him wearing a cowl right but you know i mean like how you know the 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 bat family have there are multiple heirs apparent going mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. you know and like oh my god let's talk about a war for the cowl like, let's talk about a competition where, you know, Bruce Wayne retires and just says, to the strongest, you know. Oh, or, God, or that would be awful. Like that. Like, oh, I... my God. Oh, 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 it'd suck, but it'd be a great story. Yeah, like, yeah. It just, it would it would really make Bruce. Uh, a dick. Yes. <laughs> yes. A dick. But like, I don't what... mind he's a dick because he's broken. I mind he's a dick for making choices like that, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I know, I know. I yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm mostly being. Flat, but I get but, what you mean, you though. Know, like at the same time, you know, like, like yeah. Or have it be where Jason Todd does take up the mantle, and he is somehow gamed it. Well, he can't because he's dead. But you get the idea. Have somebody take up the mantle who has gamed it just right, and they're dispensing their idea of justice, and the others have to team up with no resources against yeah. the entire empire and Bruce Wayne is gone just gone yeah um and and have them have to wrestle it back from this guy and he ends up in Arkham and yeah. then they have a decision yeah. to make you know and, that and, would be cool and I, I feel I should point out to you because uh, because th- this is actually development in the comics Jason Todd isn't actually dead oh okay Jason Todd is is the red hood okay now. Well, that would make sense. What with his being beaten to death with a crowbar thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. So anyway, sorry, All right. I, I had to interject that. But yeah. 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 Well, I will in thirty seconds or fewer uh, say what I got out of this exploration of a character. <laughs> kind of hogged all that time, didn't I? No, it's fine. It's fine because it was like you know I ask you what you gleaned after I talked for an hour um, and a half. Um, but uh, in 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 my brief time, I will say this. Um, every Batman movie since 1989 has been an exploration of the self and it, it, the good ones, well, I don't want to say the good ones cause they've all been actually really good at what they did. Um, 
each of them was answering a cultural need at the time. And the the Michael Keaton ones explored the, and the Val Kilmer one, explored the inner life of Bruce Wayne. And mm-hmm. then the rest of them went back to Batman. Um, and Bruce Wayne was an accessory or a vessel for Batman. Um, and I think that in that happening, that very much uh, was reflective of our society uh, in, in not very good ways. Um, at least in the Keaton ones and the Val Kilmer one, we were reflective. And in the other ones, we were projective as a society. And I think that's a bad thing. Um, and because the things that are getting projected through all the Christian Bale Batmans are these internal struggles that become rage and become destruction and ultimately become self-obliteration. And then uh, when that's not enough, we start obliterating others and we start turning our self-hatred and our fear and our, our hatred of ourselves for our fear at uh, the Metropolis Black Zero event, um, our hatred of ourselves at being essentially weak, we turn that toward foreigners. And I think that it's it's really telling and also very disappointing that that's where it went. Thank goodness for Martha. So, And that's all I'm yeah. going to say. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So right. are you reading anything? Because we got a break coming up. I it's okay well, if you're I'm not continuing to read mm-hmm. um, I'm continuing to read the the history of the flying tigers that I think I mentioned last time oh yeah yeah um, and the story is is only getting better um, I've, I've now managed to get uh, far enough to actually uh, uh, the, the war has now started in the mm-hmm. history that I'm reading we've, we've gotten past December 7th 1941 and the tigers have actually now, Number one, uh, the the, volu- the uh, volunteer group uh, have actually faced uh, Japanese bombers uh, over China, hmm. uh, and um, the the American press has actually now coined the term "the flying tigers," oh, neat. which was not which was not part of Chenault's. Like that, that was that was the branding was totally not done by anybody in the AVG. Um, the first time that we see, it turns out, the first time that the the phrase "flying tigers" showed up in print was in Life magazine, mm-hmm. in an article about their actions over China. Uh, and actually, it turns out the shark mouth that they painted on the intake. Mm-hmm. of their P-40s, that iconic shark's mouth, mm-hmm. was something that one of the members of the squadron had seen in a magazine about Australian P-40s, uh, which, of course, had been sent to the Australians because of the Lend-Lease program by FDR. So just, you know, interesting tidbits from that. So that's that's what I'm reading right now. Over the break, I'm going to throw myself at Dune again to, uh, uh, you know, try to try to make the time to finish it uh, so that I can try to put some ideas together for for doing something for the podcast with it. So, yeah, that's 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 what I'm reading right now. How about you? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book called Proofiness. <clears throat> Proofiness. 
um, by Charlie Seif. Okay. S E I F E. Charles Seif. Seif. Um, and it's uh, how you're being fooled by the numbers. Um, it came out oh just a few years back, and essentially, uh, he writes with kind of a tongue-in-cheek style about how it's almost like um, how Freakonomics kind of approach things. But okay, yeah. how essentially this this idea of accountability um, is dangerous as fuck um, to both uh, democracy and uh, education, and I'm I'm kind of extrapolating that one out. But um, essentially, how skewed metrics um, are being used to um, change people's perceptions of things, and how. Um, that's subverting our justice system, how it's making it so elections get rigged. It's making it so public opinion is actually swayed by intuitively clever lies. Um, so it's called proofiness. I think teachers should probably read it because of the pressure that we're under to quote, hold kids accountable, unquote, during COVID instead of like, quote, be a goddamn human unquote um so not, not that you have a strong opinion about that or anything oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> if if so. anybody in our audience has has had the the uh, wonderful opportunity to actually witness you uh <laughs> shouting at school boards yes and and um, fellow staff members <clears throat> on occasion um yeah, actually but... i'm i'm pretty civil because i'm also protecting them um, but yeah, it, this, this idea of, of now is the time to keep kids accountable and make sure that they can go through the paces. It's like, no, now is the time to do as little damage as possible to mitigate what they've lost and to yeah. show them humanity on the other side of that screen. And I think proofiness yeah. will give you, sometimes it will give people a, uh, a bit of permission to, to reject, uh, and to reflect upon, uh, the the bullshit that we've kind of just accepted is real that that COVID is frankly showing to be false. So anyway, there you go. That's that's what I have. Uh, where can they find you on the social medias? On the social medias, uh, you can find me on Twitter at eh Blaylock. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mr Blaylock. You can find me on TikTok at eh Blaylock. Um, and where, and collectively, of course, you can find the two of us on the Twitter machine Mm -hmm. at geek history time. And where can they find you, sir? Well, I can be found every Tuesday night on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns, uh, 8.30 PM Pacific standard time, slinging puns with my partner, Daniel Humbarger and Mark Berg, who now has his own, uh, YouTube channel for, for really cool gamey stuff. Um, and you know, you'll go find the, the plugs there. Um, you can also find me on the Twinsta, uh, Twitter, Instagram at, at, uh, duh harmony. That's two H's, um, in the middle there. Uh, and you can, uh, yeah, you can find me in, in those places. So that's not a bad couple places to find me. I don't have any other shows coming up. I just have this podcast and that show. So, um, All right. for geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm Ed Blaylock, and until next time, keep rolling 20s.